Mickey. Matt. All right. And Matt is our special guest for today. Matt Black for everyone who's listening. Um, Jess, what have you seen recently? Okay, so I wasn't going to bring this one up, but I am because it's coming out this week, is uh, The Dark Tower, which I hate so much. I hate it so much. I didn't express this before because I, I saw an early... Uh, release of it, so it was, it was like, just had been cut, the CGI wasn't in it yet, um, and I, I kind of gave it a little more faith that it might get better, but they still kept the timing, it's still like an hour and a half, it, uh, was terrible, I thought Matthew McConaughey was like so, just like, like a glass of water, there was nothing to his character, like, he wasn't even scary, it was just like Matthew McConaughey, and I normally really like him, um, if you read the books, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate it. It just, it borrowed from a bunch of the books, but it's supposed to be a sequel, but they have to establish a storyline, and for me, it was just, like, trash. It was a trash movie. But, I hated the kid in it. I, I kind of hated everyone except for Idris Elba, but Idris Elba was just kind of, like, it wasn't that good anyway. He was just the best part of the movie, and that, when you see it, you're giving him a lot of credit. But aren't they doing a TV, sh- like, a, like a series? Of the kinda, Dark Tower? Yeah, to tie, that's what I heard, is that they were doing a series that were supposed to tie into the movies. Because I know the movie... A I, TV series yeah. after the show? What do you mean after the show? I mean after the movie? Yes. Um, I, I heard know. that they're doing both. Well, is it supposed to coincide with each other? Like, it's supposed to be... I think it's supposed... Because, I mean, if I'm not... Because I, I didn't finish the book. I'm I telling you, the, the movie is shit anyway. If you like this movie, you hate film. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I wasn't gonna go see it anyway, but I like. I, I think that's a great, great incentive to not see it. If you if you I like this movie, you don't like film. People to see it so they can agree with well, me how think, bad it is. But I think so people where the books are gonna see the movie regardless. You know, like yeah. I'm gonna go see it. Although I do think it actually looks like it's got prom a lot of promise. It's but, bad anyway. Even if you, it's confusing for people who wouldn't know the story. It's confusing for it's just. Stupid. I don't know. I saw a trailer for it and it's I was like, this, this could be pretty cool. Because I think Sony spent a lot of money on it, didn't they? And it's was bad. It Sony? I don't know. Um, yeah. I, what? Oh, oh, you mean The Dark Tower? Yeah, The yeah, Dark Tower. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think it brought in like a surprisingly respectable amount of money. It brought in like almost $20 million the first weekend, which I think is all that matters. Uh, not to say which that is, it's going to get another. But doesn't mean it's good. Like, I wonder what, <laughs> I wonder what King Arthur made, because it was another movie that was, like, so yeah. obviously trying to set up a franchise and, and it just... was so universally reviled. Um, but, yeah, because I think, like, it's got, like, 14% positive on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dark <laughs> and Tower does. show you. Yeah, but uh, a lot of stuff that I like doesn't always get the best reviews. But, I yes, I... should d- have an episode about that. The, dar- the, uh, the, that the movies I like don't get the best reviews yeah. or The Dark Tower. No. Oh, okay. Never talk about The Dark Tower again. I'm All right. wash my hands of it. But I also saw Atomic Blonde... Which I didn't, like, super love, but I did like it. Like, I'm a fan of any movie where the female character just kicks all dudes' asses across the movie. But I would watch any movie that had that 
Right. Uh, <laughs> I heard the, the soundtrack looks awesome. The soundtrack is good. It's very 80s. I actually listened to it working out the other day. Um, Charlie Saron is a babe, and she's like a hot, badass babe. It's Isn't it like Charlie Saron is John Wick? Yes, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, she, except she, like no one kills her dog. <laughs> but the, like it, it's confused. Like the first, I feel like in that movie there are parts that just didn't need to be in there and they were stupid to be in there in the first place. But um, James McAvoy... I love him, and I'll give him some credit just because I love him so much, but I just didn't, I don't know. I walked away, like, being like, yeah, that was okay, and just, I'll probably never want to see it again, or think about it after this. (laughs) That's a shame, though, because I I wanted that movie to do really well, but... I think it's doing well. It's not bad. It's It's worth a watch, but, like... To call it a favorite movie or to buy it on DVD, I just wouldn't. I don't know. There's just so much stuff that's out this summer and coming out soon that I feel like you can't just have, like, a, that's an okay movie. But you yeah, know what I mean? Because like, yeah. you've got, like, so much stuff that's going to, like, blow you out of the water if you're just going for the, like, middle-of-the-road, like, reaction, you know? Whereas, like, you know, because, I mean, even if it is a bad movie, yeah. it's still going to do gangbusters, you know? And, and same thing goes with Blade Runner. I think Blade Runner is going to do really, really well. I really hope it does. It looks really good. I I saw that. I think I mentioned it last episode. I saw that a new trailer in the Dunkirk, like when they were playing trailers, Mm -hmm. um, and that I hadn't seen. And because at first, you know, the one where you get to see Jared Leto, where I'm like, yes, yeah. I was like, I don't care about Ryan Gosling. See, that's how I feel about Jared Leto. I love Ryan Gosling. I don't care about Jared Leto either, but he looks cool. I hate Jared Leto. I've hated him. him? I've hated him since Mm -hmm. my so-called life. You hated him. Why? Jordan Catalano. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Um, all right, you know, if I was going to be somebody from my so-called life as a kid, as a teenager, I was probably more Brian Krakow, having to watch the girl that I loved um, be enamored with a, a guy just because he's good-looking. Uh-huh. He, all right, Jordan Catalano is shallow. Yeah, of course. He's an idiot. He can't read for shit. <laughs> he can't write for shit. And yet every, and here's the thing is that like all the, you know, like, you know, guys will talk about like hot women all the time and, and a lot of women I know will be like, oh, you're being so shallow, you're being this. All of the ones who say that all think Jordan Catalano is the bee's knees. And I'm like, that is exact, that is, that is the comparison. That is the same thing. I, in fact, in Fight Club, I like to imagine that, you're- that, that, that's Jordan, that, that is Jordan Catalano. In a new city, and he gets the shit kicked out of him by Ed Norton, and <laughs> he finally gets his comeuppance. Um, I did like Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club, but it, it was oh, yeah. it was one of those things where it's like you'd have to be an extraordinarily bad actor to fuck that up. Yeah, you know, I mean, like that 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 role That's was good. like designed to do exactly what it did, which is get him an Oscar and like tug at your heartstrings, you know. Yeah. But as a whole, Jared did Leto, you get an Oscar for that? yeah, mm. yeah, and I was like, you know what? I bet you, like when I watched Dallas Buyers Club, I was like. This is the Oscar clip they're going to show. And yeah. it's the scene where he's looking in the mirror. Aside from that, though, I'm not a Jared Leto fan. And although I do, I if, from what I saw in the trailer in this new Blade Runner, he does look like the villain, and I'm okay with that because it kind of... Yeah, it, it will it, add to your hate. It'll add to my hate, and I'll be like, it'll be a lot easier for me to not care about him, you know, at yeah. all. But, uh, yeah, I'm not... A, I'm, I love my so-called life. I hated Jordi Catalano because... I just never understood how Angela couldn't see that Brian Krakow, <laughs> as complicated as he was, um, you know, was the clearly the better choice and the one who actually, you know, gave a shit. Matt, did you see anything new recently? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw, um, Jess and I went to see uh, Good Time, the second oh, yeah, yeah. movie, um, which I actually really liked. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. not, like, a huge fan of their movies, like... 
I, I like the Black Balloon, which is a short they had that played at Sundance a few years ago, but um, the who, features I don't love. Who are who, who did it? The, the, this guy's, these guys are Safdie brothers. Safdie, yeah. Safdie, which I is, think. They're, um, they did a Q&A, too, mm-hmm. and they're really unassuming looking for the movies that they make. Like, yeah. I assume they'd be really obnoxious white people that, like... Well, they are, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah they are, but yeah. they're, like, less obnoxious looking. Like, I thought they'd be, like... I don't know. Have you ever seen... I haven't seen any... I don't know who you... I don't yeah, know Heaven who... Knows What. Um, yeah, Heaven Knows What was the one where it was, like, uh, the woman, the, like, drug addict... The story about the drug addict where she, like, played herself, and the movie was based yeah. on the novel... The autobiographical novel she had written. Mm. Um, but then they had done a movie called uh, Go Get Some Rosemary, and they'd done a movie before that. I think their first one was called The Pleasure of Being Robbed, which is kind of, like, a weird, magical, realist kind of mumblecore movie, <laughs> yeah. I guess, for a better lack of a better way of describing it. Uh, which was fine, and that one that one actually is the most endearing of, of all of them. But uh, but it's like this kind of like gritty New York naturalism that feels kind of like uh, Larry Clark or something, or Harmony mm-hmm. Korine or something like that. Maybe maybe a little bit less like fun and clever than Harmony Korine, but like that kind of like ugly Americana where, yeah. every, where, oh, yeah. where, where everyone like looks terrible and their clothes are terrible and like you know, their hair is terrible and it's always like everyone's like Meh, all the time yeah. they're all awful people you know and uh, but but they, they were describing this as like their genre movie which is like a funny way of putting it because it still very much feels like just one of their movies sure yeah. uh, but, it, but it, it has this sort of blue ruiny kind of thing where like each kind of like clever like dumb but clever thing that Pattinson's character does to get out of the predicament he's in is like kind of like oh yeah like I guess that's what you would do you know in the sure. way that like when the, in Blue Room when he goes to like get the gun out of the truck and then he can't break the lock off of it and so he's like alright I guess I'll just stab him you know what I mean like it's just like yeah. it just has this kind of like weird realism of like this is somebody who's not very good at this but like sees opportunities to like make yeah. I don't know. So okay. I just think the progression of the events was really was really cool even though like the vibe of it didn't really isn't really like my favorite shit in the world, but yeah. Did A two four put it up? Yeah, I, I really like what they're doing. So do I. They did Get Out too, right? Uh, I think Bloomhouse did Get Out. Bloom oh House did yeah, get you're out. right. A two four did The Witch. They also did Green Room. Green Speaking Room. Of Blue and, uh, uh, Moonlight, right? Yeah, Moonlight. Moonlight okay, yeah. yeah. That's Megan yeah. Ellison's company. I mean, A two four is just killing it. I, yeah. I, I haven't seen anything they've put out that I've been disappointed in. I think they also put out um. <laughs> Oh my god, what was the most recent? You saw it. Who's it was, uh. I've seen a lot of movies, so I, I know. know I... The guy who did Field in England and, um. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, Free Fire. Free Fire. Oh, yeah, yeah I just rewatched that the other day, actually. It's good. I really <laughs> like the script of that movie. I, I feel like the. For a movie that's just about shooting guns, there's, like, uh, some weirdly, like, not great directing in it. Like, you're like, you don't, like, there's, like, directionality is all fucked up. You're like, wait, mm-hmm. which way is that guy pointing? Like, where is that person in relation to that other person? And you're like, this mm-hmm. seems like some basic shit. Like, you've got, like, one location. Like, it feels like a kind of a basic... Like, some of it, I was like, oh, maybe it's deliberate. Maybe it's meant to feel like, oh, it's chaotic. But, yeah. like, you don't want to feel that the entire time you're watching it. And I think maybe it was just incompetence in terms of, like, you <laughs> couldn't, like, keep screen direction straight, which feels like kind of a basic thing for a movie like that. But the script is really good, and I fucking love Kill List. I think Kill List is, like, See, one I of heard, the best... Yeah, I still haven't seen that one either, yeah. What's this? this, this that was his third movie? Yeah. Like, Kill List was, was his third movie. Yeah. No, because no, he was and then that. he did High, high Tower? No, that, it? well, yeah, but I mean, he also did one before Kill List. That was Down Terrace, I think is what that yes. was called, or something and like that. and then, I thought he did maybe one more before Kill List. Oh, he's um, done a, yo, I don't know, maybe he has, yeah, but he did, he did, uh, um, Field in England. And ben did, Wheatley. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know Sightseers. And then yeah, he did, Sightseers is the one I was thinking, yes. And then he oh, did so he's uh, done way more than I thought he Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. High Rise, that's what it is. High Rise, which was, I couldn't even finish. And, like, I read the book of that, like, years and years ago, and I was like, this is kind of fun. See, my friend read the book, and I, he told me about it years ago, and I was like, oh, I really want to read that. Because I like Ballard, but then, like, 
I saw the the trailer and like the thing. But what's great about High Rise, I think, for some, as somebody who hasn't seen it yet, is that people are like so down the middle about it. Like uh-huh. there's nobody down the middle about. It. There's either people who really liked it or, or really didn't like it. And I like that. I I, I like polarizing movies like that because mm-hmm. you know, if someone's like, eh, I was indifferent, which is I'm going to get into my you know with what I saw. Um, I'm I'm less apt to go see a movie that people have a general you know middling. Yeah. Feeling about. Um, I saw finally, and we you talked about this last episode. I found I saw Spider Man. Yeah. And um, I liked it. Uh, I wasn't blown away by it. I think it's also because I'm getting feel. comic book fatigue. It really. That's what I. That's what I feel. I'm just like kind of tired of it. I'm I'm kind of over it, and I also and I said this to you guys before. Like I had a huge problem with them, and I don't want to get into the whole comic book discussion about it because that could be like forever. the comic book guy, like. Well, yeah, but I mean, for real, though, you've got to at least mention Uncle fucking Ben. Because, I mean, like, the, and, and the fact that they didn't even use the line with great power comes great responsibility, know. I'm like, that is Spider-Man. And I, I liked, I get what they were doing, and I do agree with both of you when you guys said it was more of a teen movie than the other yeah. ones. Absolutely. But when you have, like, when you have this kid and his biggest trauma is... I don't get to be an Avenger, as opposed to, oh, my uncle, uncle died because yeah. I screwed up. And, like, I don't need to see it again, because I already know that story, you know, back, you know, hand, you know, behind, like, the back of my hand. But you but, want it. But I want it, I want them to mention, I want that to be a part of the story. Not, I don't need to see it, but they need to talk about it. Not, like, that weird moment where they kind of hint towards it. Yeah. You know, because um, it, it, that moment defines the rest of his life, you know? Like, everything he does as Spider-Man is because of that event where he completely screwed up. And they had moments where they could, they didn't have to go the Uncle Ben route and they could have gone, like, there's that convenience store that I thought they were like when... Yeah, yeah. When he's saving the ATM and it blows up the convenience store, I was like, oh, that guy's going to be totally dead and now he's going to be like, oh, see, when I screw around, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. But then it doesn't happen. Spoiler alert, the cat survives too. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, and then uh, the Staten Island Ferry, everybody's fine. I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of cars that get fucking yeah. wrecked, you know, but nobody, there's no, there's no damage that where, like, he has to really, like, you know. Be accountable be for Be accountable yeah. for it and, and feel guilty about it. And then, um, I think they relied way too much on Robert Downey Jr. being, um, you know. Himself. Himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, I, I just feel like with, with something like Spider-Man, it's weird how Spider-Man used to be, like, the face of the Marvel franchise, and now yeah. it's kind of Iron Man, so, um. It's interesting. I mean, there's moments of it I really liked, and I, again, Michael Keaton is fantastic as always. But um, yeah, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like it's kind of like a lot of the Marvel movies, where it's like they're good movies, but there's always that one moment that makes it a great movie. Yeah. And this one had that moment. You know, that scene in the you know, there's a scene between Michael Keaton and you know Tom Holland that's really dynamite. You know, and like I said this to you guys before too, there was five screenwriters on this film, or four or five, and one of them. Had to have written mm-hmm. that, just contributed that one scene because the rest of the movie does not have that yeah. same. I feel like there was somebody who wrote the jokes too. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? like, like the Hannibal Burris joke, uh, which that might have been improvised. The oh, yeah. like she yeah. draws the goth girl draws the picture of him. Yeah, and she and he's just like he has like a thought bubble that says "Who am I?" Yeah, <laughs> it's just like such a great and it feels like so in line with his comedy. Well, like, from what I heard, like the guy, like one of the guys who did the Onion movie, did. Uh, Spider-Man, like, there was, like, an Onion film or something having to do with the Onion that the guy, whoever directed Spider-Man, this is his first big movie, but it does, and, and, you know. Maybe that cop car movie, right? Maybe, yeah. The way I see this movie is, um, if this is your, if if you're a kid and this is your first Spider-Man movie, which I don't think anybody listening to this is a kid, um, 
It's going to be not. a great... I hope not. It's going to be a great movie. For me, like, I, I feel like the Sam Raimi ones were, like, the Spider-Man that I... I know. The first I, two. I the first the two. Yeah, not You know, the not the third one. But terrible. I actually don't really see that much of a distinction between the third one and all the other two. Everybody, what are you everybody, everybody about? always talks about that, and I'm kind of like, I don't know. You're they wrong. all feel kind of the same to me. There's like a whole terrible dance sequence in it. Yeah, yeah it's, like the, like, it's like the Army so of Darkness of that, of that trilogy. It's yeah, the, but it's that the weirdest, goofiest one. Make that one less bad than the first two Spider Man. But his sense, Raimi's sense of humor is so cheesy. Like, I don't know why that feels out of place in most of his films. So out of place. I think because. Spider Man films? Because in Spider Man 3, they really had the opportunity to go really dark and they just didn't you know yeah, yeah that's like, not really what Sam Raimi does though you know that's not really that's he's, true he's, he's goofy it's his thing it's goofy dark though yeah and, and the thing with Spider-Man 3 and uh, I hope this is the last we talk about Spider-Man forever um, <laughs> but uh it um the thing with Spider-Man 3 is that it definitely feels like somebody like there was a lot of different cooks in the kitchen you know like me- like messing around with it like there was, when I saw that I saw like a, a you know sneak preview of it and I was like there would be, like, moments where you would see a scene happen, and you're like, wait a minute, there's more to that scene, but it's completely cut, you know what I mean? Like, or there's, mm-hmm. there was so much left out, I felt, and then, like, um, there was also things that felt rushed. It was just, comparatively speaking to the second one, which was fantastic, out of that entire trilogy of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies, the second one is definitely the best one, um, and it definitely feels like a Sam Raimi movie, too. Like, you have those moments, those, like, those Sam Raimi uh, camera shot, you know, the, the camera angles and the shots and the mm-hmm. zooms and everything yeah. like that. Um, but you also had a really solid story. I, I just, I, this new one just didn't feel like my Spider-Man. Well, it's yeah. interesting that you say that because I feel like, the, like, I actually, when I found out that there wasn't going to be an origin story in this one, or when I, when, you know, as I was watching and I realized that they weren't going to do that, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, you oh. know, because it was like, it was like a relief thing because this isn't just the sixth Spider-Man movie, it's the third first Spider-Man movie. Right, you know? I agree. Yeah. So you're like, I'm like, thank God, please don't make me watch I, that fucking story No, no, again. I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch him go into the, 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 you know, I don't want to watch him get bit by the spider, I don't want to watch him, no. like, stuff. I want them but to, you want some, some sort of connection to that story because that's, anyway, I mean, it's, like, it was good. It's not my favorite Marvel film. No. Um, and like, there's like, I feel like his motivation whenever it's Uncle Ben dying is like this like Catholic thing. It feels like guilt. Like guilt yes, is there it is, But that is the you know, whole and like, part. And like, that's not fun to me. Like, I, I think, I think like, oh, I want to be an Avenger, but I'm not there yet. Like Catholic guilt. But also, yeah. 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 Like, that's, like, I like his positive motivation in the new. One. I like that it's real. like, it's like I want to be a grown up. Like it's, it's like again, I, I don't think it's just, it's just that it's a teen movie. I think it's like. Primarily a teen movie. It's a, it's a teen. It's a, it's a teen movie in the guise of a superhero movie, and I think yeah. uh, so much about those movies. Like think about like Superbad and all those movies are about like the fear and the anxiousness and the excitement about growing up. You know, and sure. the, the trepidation about it, and it feels like being an Avenger was sort of a metaphor for that. You know, what I, I mean? agree with that. And so like him growing up and like going out into the world, like that was what that movie was all about. And I remember hearing an interview with um, uh, Patty Jenkins about. Wonder Woman, and she's like, I just kind of wanted to make Casablanca. I wanted to make a big romantic war movie, and like, it's 2017, and the way you do that now is make a superhero movie. True. And she succeeded, yeah. I think. I think she made a really cool war movie that's a, also a really good romance, and and I think these guys wanted to make uh, a team movie. Uh, yeah, what, what, John the, Hughes. Do you said they reference uh, Ferris Bueller when he's running through the yard. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, they do, and like, you know? I mean. For me, Spider-Man, I guess, was always the angsty character that kids could get into, you know, because he was still funny, he still joked around, but, like, there was a there was a level of angst and guilt to it. It wasn't, it wasn't as heavy-handed as Batman, you know, yeah. where, like, but it was still, like, you know, like I said, Spider-Man was more for, like, because a, a really good Batman story, I don't think kids should be really involved, you know, should be, it just should be above their, their level, you know, whereas, yeah. whereas Spider-Man was always something that I could, like, as a kid, I could, you know, like, relate to, where it's, like, 
you know, oh man, I screwed up this one time and now it's, do, you know, of course not my, you know, my uncles are still very much alive, you know, um, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it, it was, it was, there was still a level of angst and I felt like with a teenage, you know, a teenage Spider-Man, you could really just like, I don't know. And there was too many no, jokes about Marissa Tomei being hot and which she is, by the way. I mean, yeah, she looks fucking great. Incredible. She doesn't age. No, she, she doesn't. The same forever. I she love looks you fantastic. <laughs> um, then the other thing I saw wasn't. This isn't new at all. But we had talked about this last episode, and I just I had to mention again because seeing it on the big screen really got me. Um, Cine Family is doing this awesome run of the midnight movies. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the things that you know, one of the the big parts of their their run right now is they're they're doing a lot of stuff that Ben Barinholtz was involved with. Ben Barinholtz, he was the um, he was the owner of the Elgin Theater, which was the, to my knowledge, the first theater to ever play and start premiere a film at midnight. Like not mm-hmm. like, oh, we're just gonna play this older film or this, you know, this film. Like when when he got acquired El Topo, yeah, he was like, this is going to only play at midnight. And I think like you know, in, in the theater, the Elgin Theater was very much like, where did we see John Carpenter this su- last summer? Uh, no, at the bootleg. No, oh, no, no, not wait. the bootleg, the, 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 the actual show, not the... the oh, the, the Orpheum. The Orpheum. Yeah. So a lot of these movie theaters in New York were a lot like that, that size. They weren't like, you know, the Arclight. They were like, yeah. they, they housed more people, and within like a, two months, the theater was sold out every night at midnight. Because it played every night at midnight, and it was always sold out. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you had people like John Lennon and Yoko Ono going and all this stuff, and then uh, Pink Flamingos was, you know, shortly after that. Oh, yeah. Another midnight movie, and then like, you know... And, again, this is, like, this was another thing that made me really, like, into it because it's, you know, my favorite movie. But, like, he was the person who, when everybody else passed on Eraserhead, he was the one who saw it. And everybody was still telling him, like, yeah, you should pass. He's like, he got halfway through the movie. He's like, no, I want to show this. Yeah. Like, I, wanna, I want this movie. Like, get me, the, get me this movie. I want to play it, you know. And, you know, he did no advertising for it. And within, like, you know, two months, it became... Not quite as, as, like, monumental as El Topo as far as the audience, but it, like, I mean, without Eraserhead and without Ben Barinholtz, like, believing in it, you wouldn't have had Elephant Man. Without Elephant Man, you wouldn't have Blue Velvet yeah. or Dune or, like, you know, so forth and so forth. So Ben Barinholtz is a really big part of, you know, uh, that culture, you know, and he was really, like, and, you know, again, like, you know, when they did a Q&A with him via Skype because he's, he's, like, 80-something years old. Dang. And uh, he just couldn't make it out from New York. But yeah. um, he also directed a movie last year. They Skyped him into the movie you just saw? Like They Skyped him. The, uh, they the, did? Yeah, yeah. cool. And it, it, yeah, it was really great. And it was like, you know, I mean, like they did a little history of him first. And they like, I mean, mm-hmm. they covered his whole story. I mean, he was a Holocaust survivor as a kid. Wow. And like one of the things that like, one of the reasons why he fell in love with film is after he was saved, you know, in the war by the Russians, he came across like, a Russian film magazine. Yeah. And that kind of, like, started his whole love for film. And it, but it wasn't just, like, it wasn't, this wasn't a guy who just loved film. I mean, he loved, like, counterculture and stuff like that. Like, he put on, like, I think he started off putting on, like, concerts. Mm-hmm. And, like, weird-looking avant-garde shows with, like, Timothy Leary and, like, all these different people. And then he started finding these movies that were just amazing and that weren't getting, that, that were not an easy movie to find an audience. And yeah. he, he helped them find that audience. And, like... Um, I mean, like, again, I think we talked about this when we talked about trailers, but, like, my favorite, one of my favorite trailers is the Pink Flamingos trailer where you don't see anything from the movie. You hear the audio from the movie and you watch the crowd and then they interview people outside the theater and, like, that was what he did. Like, Van yeah. Barrels was, like, he was very much, like, he, he brought those crowds in. 
um, to see these movies. And and uh, he also was a producer on a, a few movies. And one of the movies he produced that I saw the other night was George Romero's Martin. Yeah. Which is why I've realized that's why they played it. And even he was like, I don't know if this is necessarily something I would have played it like during this run for Midnight Movies, but you know, it's something he was involved in. And Martin is such an amazing movie that I think everybody should see. I haven't see. seen it. I know. I know. It's just a go, but yeah. And and you know, I mean, I have it, and we we should totally watch it. But it is so fucking good. It is depressing as shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 basically it's a melodrama that's descri- disguised as a horror movie. About people in the suburbs of Pittsburgh who are fucking miserable or oh, crazy like or crazy an- anyone right? <laughs> um, uh, but you know, it, it's like you know I was saying this last time too. It's a teenage boy who believes he's a vampire, mm. and he's got this. You know, he's part of this family that you know the majority of them are crazy enough to believe that you know he is. He, they kind of feed into his you know psychosis. Yeah, and. Um, and so it's this poor kid who's just completely lonely and he's clearly disturbed. I mean, we can't, you can't disguise the fact that like he's still killing people and still drinking their blood, but he's clearly a fucked up kid. Instead of getting help, they're just feeding into this whole like, yeah. you know, you're a vampire. And it's a really sad movie and watching it again for God knows how many times I've seen it at this point. Like it just, and seeing it on the big screen for the first time, it was so good that I really recommend that. Somebody, you know, finds a copy of it, whether on video or on DVD. It's not easy at this point because um, Richard Rubenstein, who owns the rights to it, apparently asks for, like, an arm and a leg for, like, you know, DVD rights and everything like that. So I think Arrow Video did a Blu-ray of it a few years ago that got discontinued. But if you can find it, yeah, it's well worth it. It's low budget. It's a great movie for, you know, people who want to make film because you can see, like, oh, yeah, this can be a really solid movie. It can be done with, like, no money. You know, um, and it's George Romero, and and you know yeah. he's he's always got a little bit more going on in his movies than people give him credit for. You know, I mean, I think a lot of horror fans give him a lot of credit, but I think you know out you know people who aren't as many you know genre fans as much don't look at like the, what he does with Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Dead or Day of the Dead as or Land of the Dead with all the yeah. commentary. And Martin is one of those movies, and it was right before Dawn of the Dead, and it was you know it didn't do well. Money-wise, but it did well. But that's how a lot of cult movies kind of, like, a lot of movies that are, right. especially now. Right, and, and that was something you know, that Ben like Barron... blockbusters or by any means. Absolutely, and I, I wish I had, like, written this down when he said it, but Ben Barinholtz, right before, like, they, they cut the Skype off and everything like that, he, he they asked me if you want to say anything about Martin, and he was like, this is a movie that wasn't made for money, but for the passion of making films. Yeah. And um, I, that would be, that's me paraphrasing it, but... It was it. It really was awesome to see, you know, this guy who is so responsible for these things. I mean, like right there, the poster on my wall, the Eraserhead one, the Libra Films release underneath. Yeah. That was his distribution company that he created. So, you know, um, yeah. if you are in the LA area, the Cine Family Run, they're doing this this uh, this Everything month. Everything they do is kind of cool. Yeah, but when they do these like special like <laughs> like these like 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 last year around March when they did that independent films of the eighties. Yeah, oh, that you know? was so awesome. That was yeah. We went to like five or six of them. I know. Yeah, yeah. and I you know I, I was shirt. It's like because they made this tour shirt of all the movies they exactly. showed, and it was awesome. I like I bought one, but I tried to go as many as I could because I saw some of the best stuff I've ever seen. You know, and, yeah. and I also got to see stuff that I I had already seen. You know, like I took my mom. My mom came to visit. I took her to see Eating Raul. Which yeah. I love, 
And my mom really liked, but I also realized, I was like, man, this is not a movie I wanted to take my mom to. Because I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a lot of it's about, like... No, you played a trailer for me, and I was going to go, but I never yeah. went. So I, and Santa Family was, like, showing the trailers, because every movie that we saw had trailers for the other movies that were playing. So I saw the trailer about, like... Well, you I took, know. you know, I took my mom and my girlfriend, my little brother, who's, when I say little brother, he's, like, in his 20s now, so it's like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he's a kid or anything, but, you know, we went and we saw it, and I remember just the whole time I was feeling so embarrassed, I was like, I was like, feeling like all, because, I mean, it's, it's a movie about sex and swingers, and like, I'm yeah, like, and it's a cop, and my mom is right next to me laughing, and as we're leaving, they're handing out, like, condoms with the eating Raul oh like logo God. and I wanted to smack it out of my mom's hand as she's taking one so like no I don't need to no but uh they're, what they're doing when they do those runs they're really great and when yeah. this run they're doing right now it's like they're showing they're doing stuff offsite the Vista they're gonna do Pink Flamingos next yeah. week um well that kind of goes into our topic it does it does so we were you know one of the things we were gonna talk about is like you know more lesser known or obscure films or, or you know sometimes these are just movies that like you assume everybody knows about but then when you talk to them about it, they're like what the hell are you talking about and I, I granted I feel like some of our movies that we've already talked about I've had some people tell me like I've never heard of any of those movies no I really I don't think there's much that I've seen before well you saw uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 well, yeah, but there's that's like one out of how many episodes was uh, eight? Watchmen, you saw. Okay, but you know what I'm saying is <laughs> which like, we're gonna need to revisit now like that HBO demons, is popcorn yeah. like this anguish uh, that we just watched. Yeah, I have not seen before, well, well, but I did want to bring up the topic of obscure film. Is what ob- is obscure to me now is not the same that was obscure to me ten years ago, or etc. So, and I think it depends on like where you are. Like some people still think that, like, international movies are obscure, and some of them are because you don't see them as often well, some as, theaters, like, American yeah. big-budget Some movies. cities don't get a lot of them, you know? And, yeah, like, we, I, we're lucky that we do get a lot of them, but when we were in Boston, I mean, like, we still got, you know, some, some at Kendall, but, not, but, like, but not... Yeah. Yeah, exactly, so... Um, Even Connecticut, they had a Criterion Theater, and I would Really? Try, yeah, there's one in New Haven and Hartford, um, and, like, the what Hartford one was Bowtie. It's funny because I still get emails from it, but those were the only two theaters that you could go to to see any type of, like, not big-budget movies, and, and they try to do as well as they can, you know, because I would... The Internet age came out, so then, right. like, you have access, you know, to all these uh, parts of information now where you could find sure. these movies, and we have apps, we have Filmstruck, which yeah. is, like, a big one, and Shudder, and, like, you can... Literally try to find anything now and like even torrenting, which um, pay for it first before you steal it, <laughs> or you know try to find it so you can pay for it first. Yeah, I, I I'll agree but, with that. Yeah, you know what I mean. You can find anything like. Or if it's something like Transformers and you for whatever reason you just want to see it. You don't I, wanna <laughs> I, I, I say I say go for it because I don't think they're really gonna um, you're screwing Miss that over. Money. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing is. Uh, so what's obscure to me now is still a lot of these older 80s horror movies, like B-horror movies that I'd never seen before. And, like, what's obscure to other people is, like, a, sure. like people are like, oh, I've never seen this, or I've never seen this, or I've never seen Old Boy, which is, like, even a bigger, yeah. you know, uh, movie that just didn't... Or if they have, they've seen the Spike Lee version, they thought, oh, they're like, oh, there was a, there's another I, yeah. Old Boy? <laughs> never see that version, it's terrible. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. If, like... Do you have anything off the top of your head that you can well, think no, of? Well, no, it's funny because there was that meme going around about, like, a film hoe, and it was, like, a film hoe, and they list, like, all these directors, like, 
Goddard, and uh, they even list Paul Thomas Anderson, which I don't think is that obscure at all, but they also list, like, Fellini and, and stuff, and, like, sure. I thought that was funny, because I was like, oh my god, am I a film ho? But it also compares it to Die Hard, and I'm like, I love Die Hard, so maybe I'm not. Right. But, like, that's obscure to some people, and that's, even parts of those, like, ten years ago in my 20s, that was super obscure to me. I'd never heard of these, and then, like, the internet came, and I was able to, like... Sure. Yeah. That, but that, that joke is just a, a Philistine. Not I know. I think because Die Hard is a masterpiece, and also those yeah, are like right. Fisher Price, my first art film directors on that list. Yeah, it's like, I know. Dig yeah. a little deeper, but bro. I like it. Yeah. But I brought it up because that that meme was going around recently. You know what I mean? And some people are like, "Who are these people?" And right. It's like because American cinema is so obsessed with it. So sure. A lot of the time, and even the movies that are remade by big directors. People didn't know that before. Right, they yeah. didn't know they were remakes. Absolutely. Um, Matthew, can you think of anything that... Yeah, well, I, I was I was thinking about this when we were talking about it earlier, and I I, uh, I was like trying to think of stuff that's in in the sort of horror realm or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, but that maybe not wouldn't be considered horror films on a traditional scale. But and um, one of them is a movie called Under the Sun of Satan. Whoa! Which is I'm writing that one down. Oh man, check I it know. out. If you can find it, check it out. I, I don't know if there's a DVD of it or whatever, but. Um, it's by this guy, Maurice Piola, who uh, is a French filmmaker who's kind of like one of the lesser known people. His, one of his first movies, his first movie was produced by Truffaut, but he's not really considered to be part of the New Wave or even the Left Bank filmmakers. What year do you know? Uh, was Under the Sun of Satan? Yeah. Uh, 1987. It actually won the Palme d'Or in 1987. It's the, the only one of Piola's movies that won uh, the top prize it can. Um, and uh, he's a very strange filmmaker. He's a very strange filmmaker. You watch it, and you're like, this is fucking lawlessness. Like, you just, like, like, t- like it'll just jump forward in time. Like, in the first, it'll be, like, ten minutes, like, it's all in real time. And it'll just jump forward, like, a week. And, like, some of the characters who are in that scene are just gone now. Uh-huh. And then they, like, disappear for, like, 90% of the movie. And then they come back in the final scene. And you're just like, what in God's name is going on? Like, it really feels like a man who... Has never seen a movie, and like someone described to him verbally what movies are like, and he's like, I can try and make one of those. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like it's so far outside of what you're what you expect. Without, it, it's not like weird content. It's just like people and like relationships and stuff mostly. His movies are, but like they're just made in such a bizarre way, and they're so they're so fascinating. I mean, there, there's uh, several of his movies are available on Criterion, so any that you can find are worth watching. But um, uh, Under the Sun of Satan is written by uh, the same novelist who wrote. Uh, Mouchette and uh, uh, Diary of a Country Priest, which are adapted by Brisson. Um, but Under the Sun of Satan is, is in a similar kind of vein. It's about Gerard de Perdue plays this sort of um, zealous country priest who... Um, I actually, I actually, now you know what? Now I know what you're talking about. Because really? the second he said Gerard de Perdue, I was like, oh yeah, I know. I remember seeing a synopsis of a movie with him in and going, this sounds fucking rad. It is fucking Where rad. Did you, you see you, it? Uh, Actually, I think the Arrow or what, not the Arrow. One of the like one of the like Limley theaters in Santa Monica yeah. did, did interestingly did a PLR retrospective, which was like not something you would ordinarily find in LA, which was pretty dope. And they played uh-huh. like I think his entire filmography, and it was really really really, really cool. Yeah, that's so awesome. I think it's several of them. as well. The movie well, that's what he about. just said. Definitely, yeah. oh, okay. definitely worth watching. It's my favorite of his movies, and I love all of them. Um, uh, a Mouth Agape is another one of his that's really good that you could describe as like an existential horror film. It's just about a man watching his wife slowly die for ninety minutes. It's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not, not in real time or anything, but like it's like you know, definitely worth watching. And then another, another one I thought of was Deep End, uh-huh. the, or The Deep End maybe by Yerzy Skolomowski, who who made a movie with Vincent Gallo not too long ago called An Essential Killing or Essential Killing. I didn't know Vincent Gallo was in anything recently. Which I actually kind of like. Yeah, I know it was. It's actually pretty fun. It's like it's like a weird like he's like a guy in Afghanistan who gets like captured 
by the U.S. and taken to a Polish black site, and then he escapes. Uh-huh. And then it's, like, this weird, like, Rambo thing where he's just, just, like, wandering through the tundra and the trees, like, trying to find his way out of this, like, in just, like, the weird backwoods of Poland. It's, it's a kind of a fascinating, fun movie. And mm-hmm. then, uh, anyway, so Skolomowski was, like, he was in that crowd of Polish filmmakers who all kind of went to film school together, like, you know... Um, uh, Andrzej Wajda and uh, Polanski, obviously, and all those, those kind of, like, famous... And Krzysztofski, all the famous sort of Polish filmmakers that we know. Yeah. Um, and he actually co-wrote one of Wajda's films, and he co-wrote... Um, I think he co-wrote something with uh, with um, Polanski as well. I don't remember what it was, though. Um, and uh, anyway, maybe uh, that might not be true. Anyway, uh, he made this movie <laughs> called The Deep End. That, that was this, like... Well, I, I don't know if this was his first English language movie, but it, it took place in England, and it's about this kid who's a lifeguard, and he sort of gets obsessed with this older female lifeguard, and, um, and, and she has a boyfriend, and he's, like, this weird, like, teenage, awkward little monster, and, uh, it's sort of about his deepening obsession with her, uh, uh, that ends in, ends in, ends in tragedy, uh, so that one's, that that one's 100% worth checking out, too, I mean, that, that dude's movies are also very strange and very fun, um, and, uh, you were talking about another movie before we, we started recording, uh, Possession. Oh, fucking Possession is so good. It's a masterpiece. It's just another... It's almost inexplicable. You know, you watch that movie and you're like, I don't even know what life is anymore. It has like a... It has a hysteria to it that I just don't even know how it was... I remember hearing an interview one time where Martin Scorsese said, like, when he made Wolf of Wall Street, his intention was to make a movie that was just like like out of 10 the entire time, like just yeah. like at the highest level right. of intensity. And it's like, well, first of all, bro, you've already made that movie several times. But, <laughs> um, but, but like also not, like you never quite get it. And this, it seems like every uh, Zulowski movie is like this. They're just, and like, I don't know how you get performances like Sam Neill's and... Um, uh, See, and that's a movie that's obscure yeah. to us. It's funny because we were in line at Cine Family and you had brought up Possession, and yeah. then some dude, like, in front of us turns around, and he's like, yeah, totally, man, Possession is, like, one of my favorite films. Oh, like, yeah. you know, like, so P- it's weird, because it's, like, there's so many obscure movies that are obscure. I feel like, like that director, he, I mean, he passed away recently, right? Yeah, no, right. well, Sam Neill yeah. passed away recently. What? what? Sam Neill's alive, come on. No, he's dead. No, no he is I not. I swear to God. I swear no. to God, he's not. Don't you, don't you yeah. Sam Neill be dead. Sure First off, died. if Sam Neill died, I feel like everyone would know about No, he died. I think I would have seen lots of Facebook posts I about that. I swear to God, Park. Sam Neill died. Come on now. Did he? So, no. Zalowski is definitely dead? dead. Yeah, he didn't die recently. Like, 2013, <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe even I dreamt about it. But he I could have, like, <laughs> sworn that someone told me no. Sam Neill died. Sam Neill's still around. Wake up, Jess. He was just in the open dreaming. I this is a nightmare. Um, and then what was those? Maybe oh. I did dream about it. I know. It sounds like you did. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're dreaming <laughs> now. Um, yeah, but that was. That was that, if I, he dies, I, it's not my fault. Yeah. I, I feel like I consider myself a pretty jaded film goer, but I, but I, you know, been watching them for a long time and and, and hate most all of them. Uh, but I, but I, when I watched uh, Possession, I was like, oh, this is the feeling. This is the reason why I love cinema. Like this, this feeling is is why I love mm-hmm. movies, and uh, it's just it's incredible. But didn't something j- of his just come out posthumously? Like yeah, you know, Cosmos. That's it. Yeah, That's yeah, Cosmos. It's on, it's on Netflix actually, and it is also very weird. It's not yeah. quite as fun as Possession, but it's very weird. And then there's another one that I was thinking of that just came just occurred to me a minute ago, which is uh, Phase Four, the movie that Saul Bass directed. Oh yeah, the, with the ants. Yeah, one of, it's it's like you it like like an avant garde creature feature, I guess is how you could describe yeah, it. It's about these like sentient ants that like turn against their their desert scientist 
uh, you know, keepers or something, and it's just the most bizarre movie, and has all this, like, weird, like, macro photography of the ants that's really beautiful, and you're like, oh, right, this is, like, a graphic designer's way of making a movie, you know? Right. Um, but it's, it's really spectacular, too, and it, it kind of slow, but, like, definitely worth watching. Yeah, Waxwork um, just released the, sa- well, not just released, but they did release the soundtrack, which is how I was like, well, Saul Bass directed a movie? Saul mm-hmm. Bass, you know, he is, he's the guy who did all the weird, remember, like, the Vertigo yeah. Oh yeah, we had a. Com- Do we have a conversation? No. We didn't tape it. We didn't tape it. No. But um, he di- yeah, he like the one thing he directed was this weird movie about you know ants going out you know rebelling and Michael Murphy who was in a <laughs> few Altman movies and and uh, Count Yorga the Vampire and Shocker like he shows up in it and it's like, uh yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, yeah. a few that I was thinking of and and you know again some of these like you know, when we say obscure. There's some people that are, you know, have seen this. Like, I remember writing an article for What Culture years and years ago. Yeah. On movies that, you you know, you may never have heard of or whatever. You haven't seen, but you should, right? And I listed some movies. And one of the comments was, uh, I've heard of all these movies. And I wanted to be like, listen, asshole. See, that's you know, it's I like, feel like some of our listeners have I'm, not I'm, seen most of these Sure. Too, and that's why I wanted to mention it. Um, one of them, though, was, uh, and I showed this at when I did that, that, that double feature night at Bigfoot. as a, I showed a movie called Spider Baby. Which, um, oh, yeah, I Jack, forgot. Yeah, Jack Hill, <laughs> the guy who did Switchblade Sisters, he made this amazing movie with Lon Chaney Jr. Um, Sid Haig was in it. Um, Carol Omar, I think, from uh, House of Haunted Hill, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it's just this amazing black comedy about, mm-hmm. like, you know, a family that's got this degenerative illness, which just makes them regress to, like, basically savages the older they get. And it's basically about the two young girls who are left, and they're already starting to lose it, and then Sid Haig plays the brother who's already kind of lost it. Yeah. And Lon Chaney plays their, like, caretaker, who is, like, the sweetest, you know, guy who's just trying to keep this family alive, you know, and keep them, set, like, isolated from the outside world because they're so fucked up. And then, of course, they have these distant relatives who show up to, like, kind of claim an inheritance, and uh, it doesn't end well for a lot of people in this movie, but... Spider Baby, it's hilarious. It's great. It's also like one of those movies that kind of like exists in the public domain, so it's yeah. not hard to find. You can find like a really crappy version of it on iTunes, like for free on you know some podcast. That's how I first saw it. it was, like years ago. I was like, oh, I'll just watch this. It was like a somebody did an iTunes, like I had an iTunes podcast, like a video podcast of like mm-hmm. a horror movie hosting show, you know, like um, and uh, they did Spider Baby, and it was great, and I loved it. And uh, another movie, I think that I think like people should. I'm surprised that people don't know about this movie, but it's a movie called Perdita Durango. Also, it's called Dance with the Devil in the U.S. Um, it was from Alex De La Glacia, who did uh, Day the Beast, uh, Witching and Bitching. Um, what the hell was that? That Oxford Murders is the one yeah, of the Wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one with, with like a, a clown, though, right? We were talking oh, about that? Oh, yeah, that's like, that's like one of the more recent ones, Yeah, right? That clown movie. Oh, yeah, cool. I'll never see it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. But Perdita Durango, um, if you guys have ever seen Wild at Heart, um, the David Lynch movie, the character Isabel Rossellini plays. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her. It's basically about her character. Uh, the guy who wrote the the book Wild at Heart, also you know Barry Gifford, who also co-wrote Lost Highway with with David Lynch. He wrote um, a series of books about those characters, and and he wrote one about Perdita Durango. And the movie is one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my life. It is, mm-hmm. but which the, the plot is basically this this badass like criminal woman, you know, Perdita Durango, she she kind of hooks up with this other badass criminal who's, like, into, like, practices, like, Hollywoodized version of Santeria, you know, like, yeah. um, 
like with sacrifices and everything like that, and they basically they're transporting like a, a truck full of fetuses to I think from Mexico to Vegas, and along the way they kidnap these two Americans that they're gonna like these two American teenage couple they're gonna like sacrifice and everything like that, and then it becomes this weird road trip like where they kind of like. Uh, they kind of win over their their kidnappees, like kind of a weird Stockholm syndrome type thing, you know, yeah. but not quite. And it's like, um, that's the plot: um, fetuses sacrifice, Fe- um, fetuses, fetus sacrifice, uh, murder, and then. Um, but the, what blows me away too is that the cast is like you've got uh, Rosie Perez as Perdita mm-hmm. Durango, Javier Bardem pre like coming t- over crossing over to the states. He was this yeah. one he was just doing Spanish films, and I think even this one is like. Even still, like off the wall for him. Like I mean, it, but he's great in it. And then um, Heather Graham's little sister is in it. And then uh, James Gandolfini, pre Sopranos, is in it as mm-hmm. this. Um, I want to say I think he's an FBI agent. But the the thing about his character, and I think this was their intention when they were making it, is that he's basically the human version of Wiley e. Coyote. Like he just gets fucking wrecked throughout the entire movie. You know, like just like the worst amount of abuse you could you could possibly imagine somebody getting heaped on. And then, like. But he keeps getting up and keeps... It, again, it's like a, he's like Wile E. Coyote. Um, he practically has an anvil dropped on him several times, you know? And then you've got uh, Alex Cox, the director, as another yeah. FBI agent. Screaming Jay Hawkins plays... Um, really? Isn't it? Yeah, it is... This movie is so off the wall and so amazing. And um, I definitely re- recommend checking it out because it's a hard movie to find. I, was, I luckily found a VHS copy of it at Amoeba, like... Years and years and years ago, and I was yeah, like, I wanted to see this like, movie. That glass case of like this is before, tape, but movies. this is pre-glass case. This is, is still it? when you could get away with like, you know, when, when finding like, some good finding shit. some good VHS that they weren't like clued in on, and like, oh, you know what? Yeah. Nobody can get this in any other format. We're gonna jack up the price. I think you can get it on DVD, mm-hmm. um, but you'll get like a truncated version. It's a very gory movie. I don't recommend. Um, it's fucking hilarious too. It's a ve- it's a black comedy. Um, I don't recommend just watching it with just anybody. You know, you really got to know your the crowd you're watching it with because there's a lot of things that could easily offend people about this movie, and uh, which is one of the reasons why I love it so much. It's a very, uh, very brutal, very ridiculous, off the wall black comedy uh, that everybody should check out. Another movie that I think uh, I wanted to mention was uh, this movie called Naja, and it was. Um, 1994-95 it's funny it's a it's a weird kind of horror movie um with basically a Hal Hartley cast it's got uh, Martin Donovan uh this one actress she showed up a lot and I can I, I know I know like what her who she is I just cannot pronounce her name and I don't really want to try it um Alina something she's been in a lot of Hal Hartley movies so you mm-hmm. would recognize her um Peter Fonda's in it and it's basically um Dracula's Daughter remade in, like, the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. Dracula's Daughter was the universal sequel to Dracula, which was this weird, like, almost, like... There's there's a lot of hints of, like, you know, lesbian undertones in the original Dracula's Daughter. It's a really great movie about a woman who... Uh, Dracula's Daughter, who <laughs> um, does not want to be Dracula's Daughter. She doesn't want, she doesn't want to be... I, they, they, they didn't screw up with the title of the movie. Yeah. But, um... She doesn't want to be a vampire, and she figures, oh, well, now that Dracula's dead, I'm going to be all set, you know? And, of course, that that doesn't pan out for anybody, including her. Mm -hmm. Uh, This movie, uh, which was directed by Michael Almerita and written, and it was produced by David Lynch. He's got a cameo as a morgue worker. um, Is this, like, awesome, like, weird, like, New York indie film uh, version of that movie. 
Uh, a lot, half of it was shot in Pixel Vision. I don't know if you remember oh, that. Wow. <laughs> Where a Pixel Vision, for those who don't remember, it was a camcorder that came out that you would record on cassette tapes. So you would, you, instead of recording on film, you'd pop in a cassette tape, you record it, and so you're, you're, it was exactly what it sounded like. It was pixelized images and stuff like that. Um, really cool movie. Uh, great soundtrack. My Bloody Valentine pops up in it twice. Uh, just uh, Space Hog is in that. You know that that remember that one song that we all remember from there. You would know it. I'll play it for you afterwards. You'll go, oh yeah, this song. Yeah. But in the By meantime, who? Space Hog. Space Hog. Space Hog. In the meantime, yeah. Um, great song. Great movie. Definitely, uh, definitely one that you gotta kind of dig around and try to find. But it's well worth it. And Almerita, he's got a great. He's got an interesting career. He did a. Uh, he wrote Cherry Two Thousand. He did a movie called Twister that's not the one with Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. Uh, it's not about tornadoes as per se. It's not about people who chase tornadoes. And then he directed a uh, a modern adaptation of Hamlet with Ethan Hawke as Hamlet. And, I don't remember uh, that one. Yeah. yeah, and where he's like, where the to be or not to be speech is given in a blockbuster. Really? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I is really it called Hamlet. Yeah, it's Ham. It's it uses the original dialogue. It's it's obviously it's not. Oh. Um, it's cut up as far as like you know, you know. I think the only person who's ever done like a full version of Hamlet yeah. on a film is Brana, Yeah, but uh, his version is like you know they don't change any of the dialogue, but how in the play Hamlet is a student coming home to De- you know Denmark or uh, is his father's co- company Sam the late Sam Shepard plays his father or the ghost. Uh-huh. Kyle MacLachlan plays uh, Claudius, his uncle who kills his father and marries his you know. His mother, who's played by Diane Venora from Heat. Um, oh, wow. Who else is in it? It's a great movie, uh, but what's really cool about it, too, is that cause, you know, because he's a student in the in the, the play, <laughs> in this, he's a film student. Uh-huh. So, inst- you know, instead of doing that, like, theatrical show in the middle of the, the play where he, you know, he, he reenacts the murder, and that's how he, he's able to spot or basically call out Claudius and, and you know... It's a short, it's a weird, like, student film. Yeah. And I just love that. I love the idea that they kind of took that scene out of the play and they just plugged in, like, a weird, like... And it's not just, like, a student film. It's a, it's definitely a student film where it's like, oh, these are the type, this is the type of shit that stu- a film students like myself go make and think, oh, I'm fucking, I'm blowing some minds here. But you're really just like, oh, my God. You're just, you're filming a crack on the wall and you're, you know... And then you, you're cutting to weird, like, photographs of something and you're calling it art. Like, that's what yeah. I was, that's the type of shit that I was doing in film school. And, like, um, definitely, so Michael Amarita, definitely a, uh, a really interesting filmmaker. And, and I really think that Naja is a really good, obscure film that people should check out. Um, and before we, what were you going to say? I was going to say, a lot of films now are releasing, like, video on demand, which makes it so much easier to find these movies too like at least ones that are coming out now sure like I can think of a few like Turkish horror movies yeah. that have been really good at least in my like Baskin is really good and that came out last year but a Baskin still got a theatrical release somewhere no maybe Cinefamily I think it was Cinefamily they released it but that's yeah. it like Cinefamily what is Cap 50 sure like, but I mean like I, I think but that's that, what I'm saying is like no uh, absolutely especially listeners who come around the internet are gonna listen to this and never have heard of Baskin or your favorite movie last year was Under the Shadow. Under the Shadow. You know, this Iranian horror movie. And, uh-huh. like, some people though. still... Well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, is yeah. You wouldn't go to... Like, there's very rarely, especially with all the content that's on these apps now, it is so hard to find one movie, let alone, like... Like, at least for me, I always end up watching something I've already watched, which is bad, but 
Yeah, because you give up. And, and now like, but there's these, like, more that, again, even five years ago would have been more obscure and hard to find, are now being released on these, like, formats where you can either download it or it's on an app. And you can find, like, all the Criterion films. Like, before, you'd have to buy the DVD. And it's, like, I think it's really cool that we have, like, this, like, open book of knowledge that we could just, like, find things now. I, I, do, I do like that, but at the same time, like, I think it's... I can't stress enough and um, that people should... When a movie like these like do get released in the theaters, yeah. like you know, you uh, should go. You should definitely go see it. Like yeah. you know, we had episode five with Dave made a maze. Uh, the screen. yeah, definitely go see that August eighteenth because these movies need to be. You know, you go if you go to the movies to see these movies, it, it gives somebody the the idea that like, hey, you know what? There's actually a, a market for this. You know, yeah. as opposed to just dumping them on. DVD or um, or Netflix or video on demand. And well, does video on demand? How does that even like? Do they get paid like per view or like how does that work with that stuff? I don't. I th- I don't know if it. I don't know the financial part of it. What I was more trying to say though is that some like the movie we just watched. That these are movies that should be seen in theaters and and oh it, yeah, I think most movies should be the- seen, seen in a theater. Exactly, yeah. and like this is where I'm going to dive into our uh, our our topic because uh, when was the last time you saw Beetlejuice? By the way. Maybe a few years ago a few now. Years ago, Matt. Uh, years, yeah. Okay, more than five. There is a scene in uh, Beetlejuice where the Maitlands are talking to Juno, their caseworker, in her office. She's got a football team that's dead. Do you guys remember this scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, you know, Coach, I don't think we survived that. All right, if you're watching that movie, watching that scene, behind Juno, there is a there's like a blue kind of panel, and you see people sitting in seats. Yeah. And they're watching the movie. They're they they are basically. The impression is that when you see it in the theater, you're watching the the audience in the afterlife watching you, mm-hmm. like watching you know. So there's this really great moment of like, and, it, and it, it doesn't hold up as much on DVD or even Blu-ray or definitely video. It's a little bit tougher to, to see in video, but when you see that, when you've got an eye for it, you see that that part. Yeah. You're like, holy shit! The idea being that we're being watched by the undead, just as we're watching them, um, which leads me into our movie that we did. By the way, before we go into it, it is impossible to talk about this movie without spoiling it. It is. Yeah. I mean, there's no way. So pause it and so watch it. Pause and it, find <laughs> it, watch it, or, you know, if you don't mind having it be spoiled, I mean, we don't we don't need to give away the ending because I don't even know what the ending really is. It's, yeah, it's like there's, the twist in the middle is like what is what is like the whole premise of the movie, and then you just see that twist play out. Right. You know? <laughs> so we watched the movie Anguish. Um... Uh, which was ni- made in 86, released in 87. Um, oh, yeah. It was filmed in Spain? Is that right? Part half in Spain, and ha- half in Barcelona, and half in Culver City. Which one? City. The one with the first, the yes, old the, movie? Okay, so um, <laughs> Vegas Luna, who did, uh, you know, he directed Hamon Hamon, which uh, won the Silver Lion at Venice Film Festival in 92. Uh, he directed, this was his first film, and uh, the premise is where you're watching, it starts off with this weird disclaimer about um, hypnosis, Mm-hmm. It's, it's very. It, it kind of goes back to another thing we were talking about during the popcorn episode um, about like gimmicks. You know, like a lot yeah. of the, back in the day when movies had gimmicks, like uh, life insurance policies, or um, <laughs> you know, vomit bags, or yeah. um, you know, subliminal me- like subliminal messaging. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, The Exorcist, which wasn't really. It's not a gimmick, but they they definitely use that that yeah. that tool in in that movie. And uh, but it, it starts off with this disclaimer, and then we watch this movie. Uh, this slasher film with uh, Michael Lerman, um, who uh, was it? Michael Lerman, Michael yeah. Lerner. Sorry, yeah. Michael Lerner, uh, who was in um, Barton Fink. He played the executive, the Hollywood executive that uh, 
loves and hates Barton Fink, and then it's also got Zelda Rubenstein as his mother. Zelda Rubenstein, who it's we like all know is the worst the perfect creepy. medium in, yeah. the, in, in cinematic Worse. history. Worse! This house is not clean! Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the slasher film where he plays this orderly working for, like, a hospital, like a... Why am I an optometrist, right? Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Is, what do you call that? What, what do you call that? Yeah. eye doctor guy? And um, it, it, you know, she ends up hypnotizing her son to kind of go on this murderous rampage to start killing and taking the eyes of everybody that he comes across. And we get really kind of into this, 20 minutes into this this movie, and then we realize that we're watching, um, we're, we're, we're watching people watching that movie. <laughs> um and so then we go to this these two girls who are sitting in a theater watching this movie with Michael Lerner and Zelda Rubenstein, and one of them is having like a complete fucking fit. Which I hated. I hated I know it you so hate. much. I, because I, we touched on this before how I hate movie interrupters. Yeah. So I was just like, what is her problem? Right. And I would have been so mad that I would have just been like, there, I, people would have been being murdered everywhere, and I would have been like, this fucking bitch won't shut up. I, and, and, I will, I, and I thought of this you know, just now. I will argue that the only reason why they had to do that is because it can be really boring watching people watching a movie. Yeah, of Unless course. you have one of them completely yeah. losing her shit, yeah. you know? And, like, what's great is that, like, this girl seems to be falling under the effects of the movie that she's watching, like the hypnosis from the movie, just like some other people in the crowd, mm-hmm. including... Somebody who apparently, a guy who's by himself, who's apparently seen this movie multiple times, and who then embarks on this, like, kind of crazy killing spree in the movie, uh, in the movie theater that, where they're watching the slasher film that is, you know, where in the slasher film, Michael Lerner ends up going into a movie theater, yeah. his character, and he's killing people in a movie theater, so you've got people in a movie theater watching a movie that were in the they're movie, watching. you know, it, it, <laughs> talking about it is quite difficult, but, uh. Um, you know, the interesting thing, thing I think about, uh, Anguish is that that first movie with Zelda Rubenstein and Michael Lerner, I could watch that. Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah, I really... Is, she, she also plays that, like, perfect, creepy, overbearing, controlling mother that is like, you can't do anything without me! And it's, like, her voice, too, and, like, the hip... The hypnotist yeah. thing is like echoing, and it's like, and it's like you're like, fuck, all right, I'll just, I'll. Yeah, it felt like they like, it felt like you started writing the movie within the movie, and it, you know, the movie within the movie is basically about a guy whose mother is controlling him through hypnosis, and he's going out killing people and stealing their eyeballs, right? Because uh, he's an optometrist, you know, like it <laughs> yeah, makes sense, that's right? What you do. Um, he's the best surgeon in the city. It's unclear why they want the eyeballs, but well, it seems like they really want them for blind. some sort of collection. Yeah. So Jess, that's why. Like, Jess's I think guy. maybe he, because he was going blind, and maybe he had a thing, and she's like, I don't want my Because remember, she says, like, you know, yeah, and she's like, he diabetes. gets weird. Yeah, and he gets weird about talking about his eyes. It seems like a real, like, uh, hit or miss strategy to just take yeah. a bunch of eyes. It's also like, why is no one talking about all these eyes that are going missing in Barcelona? But whatever. I mean, like, <laughs> I, it, it's, it, feels, it, it feels like the writer got to the, or the director got to the point where he was like, all right, so I've got this movie about a mother having her son kill people, and he's like, shit, am I just writing Psycho with eyes? Yeah. Uh, uh, what can I do here? Um, okay, let's make that movie a movie other people are watching, and then there's a copycat murderer inside that movie theater, and then you've got two movie theaters at once, and like everyone's like, all right, all right, fine, just do it, whatever. You know, and it feels like a little bit like, like that's what they, and that's kind of what it is. Then you just like watch that play out for the next 40 minutes or yeah. something. But it reminded me a lot of this movie called uh, A Tale of Cinema from like 2006 maybe. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a Korean movie by this guy Hong Sang-soo who kind of just makes the same movie over and over again but they're pretty enjoyable. They're kind of like mopey dramatic comedies. Uh, romantic comedies rather. And um, 
This one is about... This is, the, this is my favorite one of his movies. It's about um, this sort of man and woman who are uh, kind of in and out of love, and, like, their main thing that they share is sort of a love of cinema, and, um, like, you're just watching this kind of romantic comedy for an hour, and then it stops midway through, and that movie ends, and then, like, the curtains come up, and, like, there's just another guy in the theater watching that movie that you've just been watching for an hour, and you're like, wait, what? And then, and then for the next hour, a whole other movie happens about the guy who has been watching the movie you just watched. And then he goes out into the street, and he sees a woman who, who looks familiar because she's the actress in the movie he was just watching, uh-huh. and then they have some sort of weird romantic comedy thing. It's just, it's a very, it's a very fun movie, but this is kind of, like, what it reminded me of. You're kind of like, all right, I've got my gimmick, like, where do I place it? in the chronology of the movie, mm-hmm. and then what happens. I kind of wish it had been a little later in the movie. It's funny, though, yeah. because I, you know, one of the things I noticed about uh, this, too, is, like, you know, especially in contrast to something like Popcorn, which we just watch, is that he plays that movie completely f- straight. Yeah. Like, in Popcorn, There's... you know, the, the movies that the movies within the movies, the movies they're watching, like the B-movies, like, they're very clearly parodies of those type of movies. You know, like, the acting is, like, over the top. Um, the music, the theremin, and all that stuff... Whereas this one actually feels like a legit movie, which is what I think is what makes it so jarring when you find out it's not, because you're like, holy shit, like, there, there's never yeah. a moment when he's he's tricking you, or he's making it obvious that it's like, this isn't a real movie, you know, the movie within the movie, it's, uh, it's, he does it, he plays it completely straight, and it's so awesome, like I said, I would watch that movie, yeah, and, and enjoy they watch it. the whole movie, yeah, it's I good, would, yeah, it is, it is like I like how the actions are simultaneously taking place. Sure. Too. Like while the movie is going on, this is actually happening in this movie that sure. we're watching. Yeah. You know, so there was like a few scenes where like someone's screaming and she's screaming, and it's a it's well, it is good. Do you remember when we watched Popcorn though, and they were watching that like mosquito movie in the very beginning, and where it like sucks, you know, yeah. and like the, all their dialogue is like. Well, Skeeter, I don't know, you know, like, yeah. the, the Air Force, and it's, like, that really, like, ridiculous dialogue and the ridiculous over-the-top yeah. music and, and the, the silly effects and everything. This movie, the the, the movie mm-hmm. they're watching, which is called The Mother, right? Mommy, The or, Mommy. The Mommy? Or, yeah. Um, Great title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it does not feel like it, it, there's, he's not winking at all at the audience, which I think is really cool, is that, yeah. like, he's making, uh, you, you completely buy it. Um, I also, I really like the idea of, um, you know, people being so affected by the, on the, like what's happening on the screen, they're turning and looking around and, and making sure, because it makes me think of what we talked about last episode about how a hospital is like a safe place. Yeah. For a lot of film fans, it's a, safe a, 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 a theater is a safe place, you know, and like, and, and granted, like real crazy shit happens all the time, you know, um, in theaters, like what happened a few years ago, but... I think the idea of taking that sanctuary away from people, you know, and, like, having them, like, be so startled by what they're seeing on the screen that they start feeling uncomfortable about their, about their surroundings really... I liked there's shots of the crowd watching this movie and, like, shifting in their seats or looking around, and, like, I really dug that. Um, but it's because it's only, like, half of them. Like, it's, like, half of the people are, like, kind of, like, feeling freaked out by the movie, and the other half of the people are, like, shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Everyone, yeah. But, but like, does this like there's any rhyme or reason as to like who's getting affected by it and who's not? Like it's not like all men or all women or it's not like people yeah. of a certain age. It's just like a certain random, random section of the people are it's being like. It's for the hmm. people who are susceptible to hypnotism because like you know. Oh yeah. See, I thought about that yeah. too because I was like, at first I was like, is everyone gonna be? Because that would be weird, and I'm glad that some people were like. No. But, you know, it's funny, because, like, I was thinking about how this movie really, you know, if we were going to pair it with something, it would, really would pair well with Demons or Popcorn, Popcorn or another movie that I think I was thinking of when we were watching, and I don't know if you, I'm 
sure you guys have at least heard of it, if not seen it. This could be another obscure movie for some people. I doubt it. But uh, Bogdanovich's Targets. Oh, yeah. Targets uh, has Boris Karloff in it. He plays an aging movie. It's basically, the way I described it to somebody was it's the wrestler, mm-hmm. but with an old horror movie actor instead of a wrestler. Like, he plays this like aging you know, B-movie horror actor and everything like that who decides that the real world is too... People, like, aren't, you know, they're not scared of, like, gothic castles anymore or ghosts or vampires. They're, they're scared by real-life things that are happening. So yeah. um, there's going to be a drive-in screening or premiere of his new horror movie, and he decides, he tells, you know, the, his close circle, he's like, I'm going to announce my retirement at this drive-in. Well, on the day he's doing that, there's a guy, a, a seemingly ordinary family man who, like, young, I think he's from the military at one point, got a wife and... Uh, Kids, uh, no, the wife and, and mom and dad, and everything like that, and he ends up going on a Charles Whitman esque uh, rampage and uh-huh. just starts sniping people. Isn't it weird that they just put those two ideas together? It's like those are two different movies, and they were like, he was like, what if they were the same movie though? It's just like one of those weird things where you're like, I have two uh, two halves of ideas for movies. Well, that or was something. That, and that's Bogdanovich because what happened was is like Corman was like, hey, I will help because you know Bogdanovich worked with Corman, and he was like, I will help you, f- I will help you make a movie. Here's the stipulation though: is that you need to use Boris Karloff because I've got. Two, like I think I've got him on contract for like another day or two, uh-huh. and you have to use this unused footage from this movie because Corman was all about cutting, cutting costs and everything, and and yeah. and, um, and Bogdanovich took those stipulations and ended up making this fucking amazing, uh, less of a horror movie, more of a drama or thriller, but like it has like a really great commentary on like you know again Karloff's whole character, he thinks that the real world is so fucked up at this point that his he's obsolete as 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 what he does you know his act as as an actor uh, i feel like it really kind of goes into um ties really well with with anguish because i mean there's that whole thing of like people being affected by i i, I have a whole I have, I have a whole thing about i i hate when people are like oh this movie caused this person to do this or this album or this whatever yeah it's like, people are so fucked up that if it's not this, it'll be something else, you know? Yeah. If it's not, you know, um, the Beatles' White Album, it's going to be, be... Raffi's whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's always going to be something, because that oh, person's yeah. already Baby fucked up. Blue. But I think the idea of, like, kind of playing that that angle, you know, especially with horror movies and, and being in a theater and having somebody be so affected by the movie that they kind of reenact the scenes in the movie in the theater is, is yeah. really kind of a, an awesome and jarring... Uh, moment, you know, and, and really, I mean, like, the best part about this movie is, so, we, we go through the whole movie, we see what happens to this copycat killer in the theater, and uh, we see the end of, 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 you know, the movie and everything like that, um, kind of a downer of an ending, and then as the credits roll, we see people getting up in the theater and walking out, we realize that we've been watching a movie about people watching a movie, about people watching a movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, it, it goes, and, and I think that is one of those things where I was like, if you haven't seen this in the theater, which I haven't, um, I heard about it in like the 90s. Yeah, I that would have been a good yeah. movie to watch, especially when the credits roll, the credits are for the movie in the movie. Yeah, and then you're, and especially <laughs> if it's the last movie that you're seeing and you get up and you leave and you're like, wait a minute, is there somebody yeah. watching me getting up and watching, yeah. you know, it's like, um, I, I didn't get a chance to see it, you know, until not, you know, maybe the, earlier this year. I had wanted to see it for years, and then I forgot about it. Mm-hmm. But I heard about it because of, you know, Michael Lerner, who I'm a huge Barton Fink fan, and, and um, that's the only thing I really 
like him in or care for him in. Except what else for, is he in? He was in Independence, uh, not Independence Day, uh, Godzilla, directed by the guy. Oh, yeah, that's State. right. I think he plays the Roger Ebert um, character that um, gets, squ- no, he doesn't get squashed. And I think Ebert was pissed off that he's like, well, if you're going to make fun of me, at least have me get killed by Godzilla. <laughs> um, Michael Lerner shows up in a lot of things. And he's also one of those actors that even though he doesn't quite look like him, he get, often gets confused for... Um, uh, yeah. Dennis Nedry from uh, from Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, Newman from, from Wayne Knight. That's yeah. one. Oh, he was an elf too. Was he? Yeah, he was. I'm looking at. Oh yeah, he was. He was an elf. He was. I know he's in a bunch of stuff. That he I've was seen. the boss. He was James Caan's boss, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, oh yeah, X Men, Senator Brickman. He was in. A, he's just like he shows up kind of everywhere. Oh yeah, he's like he's like he's like a he's a, definitely a character actor, but. Um, which is what I think is another thing that's great. The only two people you recognize from this movie are Zelda Rubenstein and him. And him. Yeah. Everybody, and which kind of makes me, if it was like, I don't know, if you had gotten a more well-known actor or actress to play, or two actresses to play those teenage girls would have taken me completely out of the movie. But the fact that I'm like, I don't know who these girls are. This one's really fucking annoying. I mean, I agree with Jess. Like, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't want to go in to the movies life, with that. Yeah. In yeah. real life, I'd be like, Jesus, just shut up. Like. I'm going to kill you if you don't stop, you know? It's a strain of logic to, to imagine her not leaving the theater, I think. It's right. the biggest problem. Well, yeah. not, I mean, her performance is pretty bad, but most of the performances are pretty bad in this movie. It's, it's more just like, you're like, well, well, why wouldn't she leave? She goes to the ladies' room, and then there's a guy in there, and so she freaks out and runs <laughs> back, and yeah. it's like... Okay, um... And that's not even the guy who ends up being the killer? I it's know, just a total, it's just, like, it's fake just a, out? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I really did love is that the guy who ends up being the killer is just, like, she. she's, like, kind of looking around the theater the whole time as she's sort of freaking out watching the movie within the movie, and she kind of sees a bunch of different people, and some people, like, kind of turn back and shush her, and some people seem like they're also freaking out, but maybe not as bad as she is, and then she sees this one guy who just keeps checking his watch over and over again. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, what a great device. It's so simple. It's, like, yeah. just, just a guy, just, it's so weird, it's so unnerving to watch someone keep checking their watch. You're like, shit, what is he waiting on? Yeah, you know? especially and like, during a movie, like, are you waiting for the movie to end? Why are you still here if you are? Yeah. Like, I was like, but then, I, but then I was, at that point it was kind of boring, so I was I was also looking at my phone to see what time it was, you know, so it was kind of like a, another meta layer there, but like, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it, it was, I thought it was a really good, simple device to like ratchet up the suspense, because you're like, yeah, what is that, what, the, what is this guy in a turtleneck right. what, who keeps checking his digital watch going to do? And sure enough, he's, he's about he's, to go on a turtleneck massacre. Yeah. <laughs> right, he doesn't kill him with turtlenecks, like, but you get funny, the, I know, like, I like that though. They do his like nervous like things, yeah. and I do that all the time, I like, because my hand hurts, you know, or whatever, and I'm always like playing with them, and I'm like, yeah, that is really creepy actually. Now, when you look at someone and they're just like, like with their weird well, arthritis hands. I think, you know, I think like, anxiety is 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 uh, a big it, it ra- when when someone's yeah. anxious, it radiates. You know, yeah. and you get affected by it. And like, I mean, I do agree though. I mean, like this does kind of have the same problem that demons had, which I, we talked about, where it's like, hey, um, like in demons, where the girl's afraid of the movie they're watching, it's like, yeah. get up and leave. Yeah. At least try to leave. Now in demons, they find out they can't leave, but nobody tries <laughs> until the shit goes down. Whereas in popcorn, what I like about that is that. The reason why nobody's leaving is because nobody knows what's going on or they think it's part of the show. Yeah. That's a really clever uh, trick, I think, on Popcorn's part. But um, this one, I love this movie. It's just, it's one of those movies that, like, you don't, when you tell somebody about it, you don't want to tell them too much about it. You're like, just fucking watch it because you don't want to spoil the movie within the movie part. Yeah. Um, but even the ending is pretty fantastic, where it's just like, oh, that's trippy. We just watched this. That Yeah, well, the, when he's on the screen and he has her, and then oh, like, yeah. the police are coming. But the police are also on the movie that 
is projecting on him because he's in front yeah. of the screen. It is. Yeah. I liked it. I like that part. I mean, some. Go ahead. I feel like it's guilty of the thing that all that, like most horror movies are guilty of, which is that like it'll sort of do anything for a dun 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 ending, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so like the guy from the movie comes back. Uh, the character from the movie who's who's cutting out all the eyeballs from the movie within the movie comes back to her hospital room at the, the woman who survives the, ma- the the copycat massacre in the movie theater and you're like wait what like how did this guy get into reality like I don't I, it's, it's kind of, but I you know, like, like every movie does it. like The Shining does that too like but yeah. I, when I watched the end of The Shining I'm like how the fuck did he get into that photograph that doesn't make any but, sense but, but here's <laughs> the thing that I like about Anguish though is that it does do that it does the exact you're absolutely right it does that that horror movie thing only to find that, that that's not even a real movie that we're what that's a fake movie that we've been watching you know oh, and that's what I like about it is that because okay. I remember sitting thinking I'm like wait a minute are you fucking kidding me like what the fuck but isn't that just the movie we're watching I mean like that's so weird it, 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 I, I, wish we, I wish we would have seen the faces of those audience members and seen if they were different people that how do you know that better. we didn't though because we, like, we only saw like we, we, we constantly cut to audience shots and, like, so we saw Michael Lerner killing people in the audience. We saw this copycat killer. But then we also just saw audience shots where we don't know. So who knows, you know? Oh. How do you know? And that's what I like about this movie is that afterwards, you're, like, you're, when you're trying to pull it apart, you're, like, wait a minute. It's, like, Inception movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, like, and, I mean, look, the movie, I think, is a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll even say that it's a, it can, it, sometimes it's a little bit more ambitious than it is. Yeah. But... I think, I mean, especially think of the year, think of like 1986, 1987 in cinema and stuff like that. That's why I feel more fondly on these type of movies because (coughs) rather than something that just came out, because people would be like, that's bad, it's a bad movie. It's like, yeah, but think about what we had back in 86. I don't know. Yeah, think about that. But also think about how, I mean, like, this was, I mean, I think this, the, the same type of meta fiction got like really, like, it, it kind of got a little bit more refined in the 90s when they did, like, Wes Craven's A Nightmare yeah. and even with Scream, you know? But, like, Anguish is a movie that I think is ahead of its time. I really do. And I'm really bummed out. Like I said, I, I wanted to see it, like, when it, you know, in the 90s I heard about it. Um, and then I didn't. I forgot about it. And then a buddy, uh, Steve Sears from Episode 5, he went yeah. and saw it at, at the Arrow. See, this episode is where everything we've ever talked mm-hmm. about comes, comes together, you know, comes together. But, like, he saw it at the Arrow movie marathon a few years ago. And he was like, you've got to see this movie, Anguish. And I was like, I know, I've heard about it, blah, blah, blah. So I went out and bought it on Amazon, which was, I think, 10 bucks. Yeah. And then just sat on it for, like, a year and a half, two years. And finally, this year on my birthday, I'm like, I'm going to watch movies and just do nothing. And I watched Anguish. And I was like, mm-hmm. God damn, if I had gone to see this at the Arrow, it would have been fucking perfect, you know? Especially if you see it at, like, 3 in the morning and you're already tired. <laughs> you already feel like you're a little hypnotized. And then, you know. <laughs> I can just imagine. So, like, um. Why, 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 why do you think they went with Anguish? It, it, like, Mommy's such a better title. Yeah. Why, mom- why wasn't the movie within the movie called Anguish and the movie we watched called Mommy? Uh, because I think we would have tipped <laughs> us all off. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I, maybe a little too... You know, or I... Should, they should have just both been called Mommy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the thing is, oh, I don't know if you guys, when you get a chance, and I'll post this on the Instagram and on the Facebook page, but look, at, you guys gotta check out this poster. This movie, yeah, not the the, the artwork dope. for, for the artwork for the the DVD is garbage. Blue Underground did a terrible. That is that's a good movie. That is fantastic. That's a good movie like, poster. I it's love just it. A lady standing in front of a bunch of eyeballs. Uh, it like gives away nothing. On the wall and it just says, "The eyes of the city are mine." Is the tagline. <laughs> it's pretty it's dope. Great. Yeah, it's great. I mean, like, uh, and you know, and I wish I could be a little, give a little bit more information on this movie, but it is a hard movie to find info on. Like I, yeah. I, I did, I was trying to do some research, and like I found an interview with Zelda Rubenstein. Like I said, it was through Ain't It Cool News, 
and they mentioned anguish and she was like i loved working on that i made it you know we made it in barcelona and yeah this is the director and it was great and it's like That's all it. this information you can get the only other, the only other tidbit that i got which i don't know if it's true or not because again you know it's you know I, I think i saw this on imdb but the zelda rubenstein role was originally offered to betty davis oh yeah i just saw that which i don't know if i i love betty davis but i don't know I feel like Zelda Rubenstein, though, is so... Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, this movie has cult status written on it before it even, like, you know, before the movie's even over, because you've got two actors that, like, really are, like, strong character actors who show up in weird shit. Um, I mean, Zelda Rubenstein, aside from Poltergeist movies and... Teen Witch. Yeah, Teen Witch. There you go. Um, And then that's it. This is the only two recognizable people. And then, yeah, it's a really tough movie to find information on I haven't found any interviews with the director about this movie it seemed like after this was the only horror movie he did and then he yeah, went on to do weird comedies about food and eroticism which is oh, interesting cool yeah, um, I like both of those things yep yeah, I, I do too um, I think he liked mm-hmm. them both together I'm down with that okay mm-hmm. alright um, but yeah I, I, I really I think I think it's a great movie um, it's a, definitely a trippy movie definitely an awesome movie about like, with a kind of a commentary on the effects of cinema and imagery on a, on an already unstable mind, you know? And, and yeah. like I said, I don't agree with the idea that a movie or any sort of art form can make somebody do something. But I always think it's interesting when people kind of explore that, like, what if it could? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know, you know what would be interesting double feature with it is that movie that came out uh, a couple of years ago called Dark Knight, N-I-G-H-T. It's like a, a dramatic recreation of the Dark Knight screening in Colorado where all the people got oh, killed. Oh, I saw the trailer for it. I thought you were like, I thought you were just being like, oh yeah, the Dark Knight with, yeah, uh, with yeah. You ever heard Christian, of this, this little Christian Bale. Speaking of obscure movies, I don't know if you guys have heard this one. No, but like the, uh, the it's, it's like, apparently it's a lot like, um, I haven't actually seen it, but it was, it played at Sundance and it, like apparently it's a lot like um, Elephant or something where like it takes a very like kind of distanced, like gotcha. quiet point of view on this event that happened and I guess it's like sort of loosely based on the events of that screening, although given the title of the film, it feels like it's probably pretty right uh, directly connected to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that feels like another movie where, obviously, there's an examination of, of that idea. Does Scream 2 start with a yes. killer yeah. killing okay. people in a movie theater watching up. a movie? It's Jada yeah. Pinkett-Smith, isn't and it? And Omar Epps, I think. Yeah, and that one always, that opening always scared me because she's actually, like, screaming and people are like, Woo! Kind of goes the whole popcorn like thing where it's people, like that dream yeah. sequence where you have where you're screaming and no one hears you. And like, or like that scene popcorn where they're like at the end yeah. where you're like, wait a minute, why is anybody doing did that? Did we oh. talk about that? I think we did. I yeah, no, we, we did. We, 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 I think we, we talked about it in Demons too where like, yeah. you know, the girl's behind the, the yeah. screen, she's Bing, screaming and nobody like, everybody's just thinking it's the movie they're watching. That's it's like, the fear. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, that, that nobody can help you because they think it's all part of yeah, the, what's, gag. The, the show or the gag or... or and, uh, yeah, I mean, I also, like, I, the reason, I definitely think it should, you know, would pair well with Targets as well, because I don't want to give away the ending, but that, there is a moment where, like, Boris Karloff's character, you know, as this aging horror movie star, like, when he, when he ends up coming face-to-face with the killer, or the, the sniper and everything, that the sniper is absolutely, because he's already got a shattered mind, and he's, mm-hmm. like, seeing Boris Karloff, and he's seeing the screen, <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck is going on, and he loses it, and that's yeah. how, you know... And I love that. I really love that part when, like, you know, um, we're so damaged that we can't tell what's real and what's, you know, fiction. And, and I think Anguish does that really well to the point where even after the movie, you're like, what was I just watching? Yeah. You know, what was the what was the movie that I just watched? Was it this movie? Was it this movie? Or was it this other movie? 
<laughs> who's watching me? And, you know. Yeah. So I, I really dug it, and um, I'm glad we watched it, even if it, if it wasn't, like, you know, mind-blowing. I know that you had a particular interest in it because of stuff you're working on. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, the 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 genre the subgenre of horror movies that take place in movie theaters is actually a pretty small yeah. field. So I, I was yeah I've been trying to watch all of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's I mean it's it, the the like uh, there's some, I think the stuff that's done really well is just like the the effects are really good, like the the eye effects are really good and are really visceral and like the weird kind of like body horror element of like just there's just lots of shots of like eyes and jars and there's so, lots oh, of yeah. shots of like him like getting eyes and then like going and like washing yeah, them washing out them? In, the, in the grimy bathroom sink and you're just like oh like it happens <laughs> twice yeah and he he does it in two different bathrooms he's like, just washing the eyes and like and then just like putting them in a plastic bag and it's just like so <laughs> that, that, oh, that, and, yeah and let's not forget the, the the very obvious eye surgery that happens in the movie where you're like yeah. That's not oh, yeah, an yeah. effect. That's yeah. an actual like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know Eye surgery. surgery. It's got a real tactile like. It's not just like gross out body horror. It's like got a real right. like, tactile kind of like under your skin kind of creepiness. Yeah, and, I, and again, I, I say that like they could. There's there's so many ways they could have tipped you off that it was a fake movie by having those effects themselves be obvious and cheesy. Yeah, but they don't. They make it as like as if they're you know it's as real as as a, any other you know a movie trying to be as realistic as possible, not hokey. Yeah, and they, they, it's, it's, it, the movie becomes sort of a procedural once he starts cutting eyeballs out. You know, like, the eyeball sequences are like, yeah. like, all right, well, this is what it would be like if you were just cutting an eyeball out in real time and then putting it in a sack, right. you know, and, like, <laughs> cleaning it off in the sink or whatever. But, like, I think that those are my favorite parts of it. And, and then the sort of, once the two movies, like, it's got that kind of structure that's kind of like, I guess, sort of like what, what the um, what the new Nolan movie does, the where, like, the, the two timelines kind of converge at some point, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, why, why can't I remember? Uh, Dunkirk. Is it, like, you know, at a, at a certain point, like, they all kind of catch up to each other. So there's a point in English where um, what's happening in the movie within the movie starts to converge almost scene for scene with what's happening in the movie we're watching. And th- it has some really, like, fun stuff where, like, you're watching a close-up on the killer within the movie and then it'll rack focus to an audience member watching that movie and stuff like that. And so like, it has a lot of, like, fun, playful stuff where, like, like someone will, like, burst out and go into the bathroom and then it'll cut to the bathroom in the movie within the movie, you know? And so, yeah. like, it does a lot of, like, fun cross-cutting where you're like, which one are we in? Oh, you know, this, is a, this, yeah. movie's an, this movie's an editor's wet dream. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, if I was an editor on this movie, I would be having a field day because I'd be like, oh, I get to play with this? Like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like they're not afraid to let you get lost in it a little bit, which is funny. Yeah. I feel like if it were yep. a Hollywood movie, they'd be like, "We got to make sure they know which one they're watching, whether it's a exactly. movie." And they kind of like let you like kind of like free form associative kind of cuts. They kind of like let themselves do that. And right. I think that's kind of one of my. I think those two se- the, like the eye cutting sequences and those sequences are my favorite yeah. parts of it. I agree. Um, yes. No, oh, that's. I think we pretty much discussed the entire. <laughs> <laughs> as best as we could. Yeah. I, 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 without giving anything away. Well, I mean, even though we did, go, we do give it away. Like I said, if if you didn't watch the movie and you listened, it's still well worth a watch because it's a movie that. No, it definitely. There is. aren't movies like this being made. No. As much I or can't as think often, of any. and yeah. there should be. Uh, not necessarily movies that take place in movies, but like movies that just play with the audience the way it does, and I yeah. think that um, they deserve that chance and everything so definitely go check it out Jess is there anything you wanted to I don't know shout out to or plug or anything like that no um maybe if you're in the LA area the theaters that are around we've mentioned a bunch of them Cine Family Arena Cine Lounge the one that we went to to see the boy that was really creepy um the Vista 
uh, New Bev. The New Beverly. Yeah, there's just, yeah. like, tons and tons of places that you can actually see movies in the theater. Yeah. So if you're in that area, just Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. And if you're in the Boston area, uh, definitely check out Poor Man's Coffee. That's P-O-U-R, Man's Coffee. Uh, huh. Some friends of mine run that, and uh, cool. it's a little, like, farmer's market, you know, pop-up and everything, and they're, I mean... The Where bit, in Boston is it? Uh, they, they, sometimes it's in Wakefield, the Wakefield area, sometimes mm-hmm. it's in Cambridge, I think. Um, they have an Instagram. You should definitely check cool. it out. Uh, I stayed with my, you know, one of the two people who runs it. They're both friends of mine, but I was staying at one of their houses, and, uh, you know, he, um, when I woke up in the morning, his two daughters, who are, ador- well, he's got three now, but his two, at the time, were adorable, were just staring at me while I was, like, lying on the couch, <laughs> like, waking up, and I was, like, and, and adorable <laughs> children are still creepy, creepy when they're they're just staring at you, just watching like, you. What? Um, and he was like, here, have some of this cold brew. And uh, it was the best cold brew I've ever had in my cool. life. And um, yeah. And I like to think I'm a pretty, I'm a connoisseur of uh, coffee. So, um, you know, I've, I've had it all from 7-Eleven to a poor man's coffee. And I definitely think you should check, uh, check them out. Um, also great pastries and stuff like that, mm-hmm. some baked goods. So cool. check those guys out. And uh, we yeah. will be back with episode nine Soon. Yeah, and thanks yeah. to all our guests, Matt. Thank yeah, you Matt, for coming. thank you. Yay. Yeah, if and we have, if, if anybody, I don't know if you guys have people commenting on stuff as they as after the episode goes up, but I think it'd be awesome to like try and like, compile a list of like movies that have movie within a movie. Yeah. Uh, setups or movies that like uh, take place in a movie theater, and especially in horror movies, but any kind. So definitely you can think of anyone yeah. comment on it, and yeah, we will. go on go on our Facebook page, go on our Instagram. You can also email us at videovampirespodcast yeah. at gmail. Us. Yes, message us, and um, but also email us so we have something in there besides like the hey thanks for signing up for Gmail email that yeah. we have in there, and um, you know let us know what you think and go on iTunes and review it because that helps a lot and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. John is your best boy, isn't he, mother? Yes, John. You're my best boy and the best surgeon in town.